Downtown Productions in cooperation with Zone Radio presents Downtown, the podcast. From the historic Zone Radio studios, here's your host, Rich Kimball. Hey, welcome, man. It is Downtown, the podcast brought to you by Renewal by Anderson. The better way to a better window. Offering free in-home consultation. Give them a call at 207-275-6622 or visit RenewalByAnderson.com. Rich Kimball here with you and a couple of great conversations on this final podcast of the year. My goodness. Episode number 288. A little bit later on, the talented, multi-talented singer, songwriter, musician, actor, and producer Bill Moomy returns to the program. But up first, one of our absolute favorites on the podcast and our radio show, actor, author, and storyteller, Stephen Tobolowsky. Hey, Rich. Love to everybody in Maine. Love to you all. Right back at you. It's so good to have you here uh, because you have been, uh, well, you've been such a part of our our Christmas so far. My goodness. Every time I turn around, you're in a Christmas movie. We knew about the the second Hallmark movie, which was wonderful, by the way. And then... I didn't even know I was going to see you in Candy Cane Lane with Eddie Murphy and our friend Tim Simons. That that was that was a surprise too. I but first of all, I love both of those movies for completely different reasons. It was the second time for Hallmark, it was the second time the gang got together, as you say. And it's so great to be with all those people again. It's mm-hmm. it's like when everybody loves what they do. And they're good at what they do. And everybody works hard and nobody goofs off. It's just wonderful. It, it's just a wonderful feeling. And you go like, this is why I got into show business, to have this kind of fun with these kind of people. So, you, you know, Haul Out the Holly, Lit Up, that's part two. They're showing it now with Haul Out the Holly, which was part one. And and um, I, I hope there's going to be a part three. We'll, we'll, we, we'll see. But it, it was just wonderful. And Candy Cane Lane, Candy Cane <laughs> Lane was a really special thing. I get the call from uh, the casting people, the director, saying, we'd like you to play this part in Candy Cane Lane to, to play the math teacher. I said, sure. They said, they said, well, nothing's written yet, but we'll write something for you. And I go, okay. <laughs> that, that's always nerve-wracking when that happens. So nothing was really written. And so I call up the director right like 24 hours before we're shooting. And I I had his home number. I said, listen, I I don't have a script yet. I I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, don't worry. We're going to have something. I I said, I understand. I understand you're going to have something good for me. But it it kind of falls in the category of what I call virtue in the future. You know, there's so many good (laughs) scripts in the future that exist. But what am I going to do in 24 hours? I have no idea. So anyway, they send me something the next morning, and I just thought, I can't do this. I I don't know what this is that I'm saying. They had all of these jokes, uh, funny jokes. You know, they had all these jokes, but, like, I had no idea who my character was or what I was doing or what. And I called the director and guess I said, I can't do it. Can't do the show. I said, I don't know what I'm doing. I don't know who I am. I said, I'm a, a math teacher. She says, we'll work it out on the set. <laughs> we'll work it out on the set. So I show up on the set, having learned the lines they gave me. 
Eddie is there, you know, the cast is there already. And I just start trying to do my part. Cameras, they're going to start on me. So the camera's <laughs> going to start on me for the scene. And I just stop everybody in rehearsal. And I said, I'm sorry. I really am, Eddie, everybody, my, my apologies. I don't know what I'm doing. I don't, <laughs> I don't know what I'm saying. I don't, and and I, I said, can I go back to acting class days and just say, you know, who I thought I was in this movie? And the director is finding this enormously amusing. And he comes <laughs> up and he says, well, sure, Stephen, who, who do you think you are? I said, listen, I'm a math teacher. You know, math is is a very important thing. And, you know, if Eddie's kid's not doing him math, it's going to hurt him for his future. Do you know, it was math that got us from to the new world. It's math that got us to the moon. You know, you you Vegas is all the probabilities of math. Our life is determined by math. And Eddie just looked at me and said, hey, <laughs> just say that. <laughs> so we made up the scene on the spot. Wow. We made up the scene of talking about math. And I, I have no idea how it turned out. But let me tell you, it was delightful working with everybody on that show, too, because they were all so good. And when I went in to do looping, which, of course, you do at the end, where if there are any bits and pieces of your voice that weren't mic'd properly, you kind of redo those lines and have to try to fit your mouth. Uh, I was shocked at how great that movie looked. I was shocked. And because they had all the special effects in and all the Lords of Leaping and all of the, the amazing stuff in that movie. So it did not surprise me that it was the number one movie in the country. It, I was not surprised at all. Uh, just a uh, delightful, delightful, <laughs> scary experience. But it all turned out OK. Well, that's I mean, awesome. I had such a small part in it, but it, it's the whole thing is just Eddie is just hilarious. He's great. At it, yeah. And uh, we love uh, Tim Simons, who is a, a Mainer, who was uh, so good in it as well. It was great. Yeah, I just just love that. That that was a, a, a fluky, freaky, uh, freaky event. It's strange times. Rich, and uh, strange times. Your wife Anne has been directing a play that's got a main connection. Absolutely, uh, Monica Wood, uh, the uh, Half Light. Oh my gosh! So it was just a love letter to Monica out there. If she is listening, I saw the play four times, not because Anne directed it. I mean, I'll see a play once if Anne directs it four times if it's exquisite. And I want to describe something to Monica of what happened at the end of act one. And this is, we had a very full house, this, this last show we did that, that, that they did at the end of act one, there's a moment and it almost never happens in theater. The lights go out at the end of act one and there's a gasp in the audience of breath, of like, of this inhalation of breath, of like, lights come up, people are applauding, and nobody moves. Wow. Nobody in the audience moves, and all I see are people turning their head one to the other saying, this is beautiful, I love this, this is very, very good. These actors are very, very, it was poetry. It was beautiful. Uh, just so many people love that show, it was just delicious. Oh, that is wonderful to hear. And uh, yeah, I feel like I was uh, 
a part of that show in a very tiny, tiny way, but I'm happy to contribute. <laughs> yes. Well, absolutely. It was, it was not a very tiny way. And of course, the play takes place in Maine. Yeah, you know, and 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 in it, the characters are reading a main <laughs> newspaper. Yeah. And who did I contact? <laughs> who do I go to for the newspapers? I go, Rich, can you help me here? And I got to tell you, it was here the next day. Wow. And and it played every every the Sunday paper was right there for everybody to see. Oh, that's wonderful. I see. Was, uh, I see. Anne's been doing some baking too. Oh please, please! <laughs> it's it's just happening, and I I don't like her to share. I I know it's <laughs> it's a time of forgiving, but not right now. She made a collection of cookies. She made honey cookies with our honey from our beehive mm. that we have in the back. Honey cookies. She made gingerbread today. She made uh, cardamom cookies, mm. and uh, wow. What the, Oh, oh, yeah, it's the house is full of cookies. It's full of cookies. And I am trying to measure my going up and down the stairs from the TV to the cookies. And I feel if I go up and down the stairs enough, they'll kind of it'll it'll work the calories off. Oh, I think that's how it works. Absolutely. A so. couple of flights of stairs, one cookie. I think that's good. Yes. And and I, I, I do have an absolute exclusive for you, Rich. Oh, I love that. Thank which. You. I just found out before we went on the air. Wow. Absolutely. This? First, you were the first person to hear this. All right. You heard it here first. I just got an email uh, that the movie I did with Chris Pine, Pool Man, like a couple, uh, like at the beginning of the pandemic, Danny DeVito, Annette Benning, uh, Jennifer Jason Lee, John Ortiz, and me, uh, and Chris. Chris is in it, and he directed it. Uh, this film was finished about a few months ago when we saw it at Chris's agency at CAA. I watched this movie from beginning to end. It is wacky. It is weird. It is funny. The movie ended. I looked at Anne. Anne looked at me, and she said, I loved it. I said, I could sit and watch this whole movie again. Anyway, didn't hear anything about the movie until a few minutes ago. Oh. And I just heard from the producers, it's got a distributor. And so it will be picked up and it'll be out there. So Pool Man, it is a crazy, goofy movie. Uh, I was contacted by my agent saying that Chris wants to talk to you about doing this movie. Chris Bynum talked to you about doing this movie. I said, well, can I read the script? And I looked at the script and the part they wanted me to read for was Stephen Tagarowski. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going, what? Excuse me. What? I'm auditioning for this part? So, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I talked with Chris. Everything was on uh, Zoom like everything is now with the pandemic on Zoom. And then my agent called me a week later and said, Stephen, I've got good news for you. You're still in the running. No, <laughs> I'm still in the running for Stephen Tagarowski, but I anyway nailed the part of Stephen Tagarowski, and it'll be out there for people to see hopefully very soon. Well, that's exciting. And we'll be looking for that. That's a, that's a stellar cast. Yeah, Pool Man, and what it, 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 it's kind of a comedy, but it's kind of a 
dystopian world science fiction sort of thing where Chris plays a pool man in Los Angeles in the future where there is no water. So all the <laughs> pools are empty and he keeps having these hallucinogenic dreams. And as you meet these strange characters he encounters on his way, it's like an Altman movie, something like that. And what happens is the images of in his, his dream eventually become true and they, we, the audience, begin to see them happening and, and they start to tell another story. Wow. So it's kind of very interesting, very wacky film, the, a, lot of, a lot of laughs in it. And, and what kind of a character is Stephen Togarowski? Well, I can't tell you too much <laughs> because it's a bit of a surprise. Okay, all right. But I, I can tell you this, that I play the head of the Los Angeles City Council, and Chris has business with the Los Angeles City Council, and I am a rabbi and head of the council, and Chris suspects that there's something not right with me, and so he decides to follow me, and that's where things take a very str strange turn. All right, we'll be looking for Pool Man. Yeah. Uh, Stephen Tobolowsky with us, not Togarowski, with us here on Adapted. You mentioned Altman. You've worked with everybody in the business. Did you ever work with Robert Altman? I, I hate I hate to tell you this. Uh, I my, my old girlfriend, Beth, Beth Henley, uh, she wrote Crimes of the Heart, which I think you just did at the, yeah, the theater there. We you did. just did at yeah. the theater there. And uh, Beth won the Pulitzer Prize. First play right out of the gate. Who knew? You know, who knew she was a genius? Anyway, we were out in Topanga. I think we were smoking some sort of marijuana of some sort. <laughs> we, we were all loaded and we were reading Beth's new play. And we all had to relieve ourselves. And what you did in Topanga was you just go out and do so in the bushes around who's ever a house you're unfortunate enough to be doing the reading. <laughs> so I go out and I am eating a snack and peeing on a bush. And who comes next to me? Robert Altman. <laughs> <laughs> Robert Altman stands next to me and he says, we're either going to kill this bush or it's going to be luscious and magnificent. <laughs> and I said, Mr. Altman, I, I don't think anything good is going to come of this. And, and he optioned Beth's play to turn it into a movie, and he had, had it optioned for a few years. And then it just, it's one of those things in Hollywood that just kind of went by the wayside. Hmm. I think we ended up doing her play on Broadway before uh, Robert Altman ended up doing that. But he ended up doing a lot of other great movies. You, you never know. But but we hung out with him for a while at that period of time. He was a very joyous fellow. Now, this was this one of the parties where you were uh, unclothed? Because I know that way you talk about that in your there, book. There were, there were parties where I was unclothed, but not the one in Topanga. <laughs> this, oh, wait, wait. This is the party. This is the party where it was Christmas. Well, it is the Christmas time of year, isn't it? Yeah, it so is. So this is the party. We're all in the living room listening to Bob Dylan's Blood on the Tracks. Just came out, so that'll date it. And Joe came out of the kitchen, says, Merry Christmas to everyone. 
I just want to tell you, your Christmas gift has come a little early because I put LSD in all of your coffees. (laughs) Now I'm looking at my empty mug and I'm going, what? Wait a minute. Wait, time out. You got to give us, you got to give us a heads up with this one, Joe. Anyway, I, I started to feel like my head was exploding and I go back to talk to our hostess and she was like counting jelly jars in the kitchen and she's going like, Oh, that's so cool. You're, you're rushing. You're rushing. That's, you know, the blood just buzz. I said, well, can I die? She says, what you need to do is be in a very cool, dark place, which is the toilet at the end of the hall. <laughs> why, why don't you go down and wrap around the toilet, base of the toilet? And at this point, I could no longer walk. So I'm crawling on all fours and I go back to the toilet and she wraps a blue towel around my, now you stay back here and I'm going to shut this door and then you're going to feel a whole lot better. So she shut the door and I don't know how long I was in there, but at one point I leave, I walk down the hall, I take a right turn and go outside and there's the dog of the house, Manny Moore, who was kind of a shepherd mixed dog. And I look at Manny, and I'm suddenly filled with sort of admiration. And I go, Manny, (laughs) you are so mighty. You are so strong. You look out into this night, and I know you are a powerful hunter. And he goes, Stephen, you have no idea what you're talking about. (laughs) And Manny's like, I said, what what do you mean, Manny? He says, Stephen, I have no power. I mean, you look out at the night and you see mystery, but I have senses more keen than you. I can see that there's a coyote behind that tree waiting for me just to go a little too far. I I have, I know that there are dangers here that you could only perceive that I know. And so I came up with a rule that whenever you have too much to drink, too much to smoke, or if somebody puts LSD in your coffee, the basic rule of thumb, if the dog talks to you, listen to the dog. <laughs> That's a rule. That's a sage advice yeah, right there. A rule to live by right there. Now, Kara, you uh, you just made the trip uh, back here to Maine from New Orleans. Hmm. And once again, Stephen accompanied you on your journey. Yeah, you, you've become my late night driving companion. So we, we do the drive from New Orleans to Maine, Maine to New Orleans in, in one shot. We don't we don't stop at a hotel so when we hit the late night hours i'm the driver loretta's sleeping and so i put on tobolowski files and listen to you for uh, five six hours of driving and and (laughs) this uh, i started this with the uh, first episode of the covid season which includes one of my favorites of all time, uh, the, the episode where you talk about the fifth dimension as, as narrative as the fifth dimension. It's yeah. just, just a wonderful, wonderful episode of, of the Tobolowski Files. Thank you. Thank you so much. I, 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 I keep getting kind of letters from all over the world, well, not letters anymore, emails, of people that not making a trip from New Orleans to Maine, but something happening in their life like that, you know, where they're stuck somewhere and they plug into the Tobolowski files and find something. I found something not long ago and I, I'm looking at it right here and you'll love this, Carrie. So anyway, I started doing the Tobolowski files when I broke my neck right in Mm -hmm. 2008 Mm -hmm. and it was David Chen at Harvard 
he was a student at Harvard at the time, who said, can we do stories? And so I started writing these stories and David started recording them, just like we're, we're doing this broadcast now. So I created a document in which I could write down ideas for stories that maybe could be in the podcast and I lost the document. I had no idea where it went. So I was doing a search on my computer this week for some keyword of something and the document came up. It's tw- it was written in 2008, January seventh, <laughs> 2008. It is 23 pages long and it has hundreds of story bits, story pieces for what became the Tobolowsky files. Mm. And some of these things I didn't even remember. I didn't even remember in my life. I had forgotten them. Uh, Here's one which I don't think made it into the Tobolowsky files. It may have, but it cracked me up. And it was back when I was single. And I went to New York and I... Uh, met my friend from college, Greg Rowe, and we decided we would see if we could buy drinks for ladies at bars. <laughs> we were we were going to step out and we were going to see if if we could make time with anyone and how that would be. So the first thing we did is uh, we went to the White Horse. I think that was the one where Dylan Thomas drank himself to death, right? The White Horse Tavern. Uh, <laughs> Greg and I went in and I sat down and he met a lady. I met a lady go, hello, how are you? Can I get you a drink? Oh, yes, thank you. And she says, so what do you do? So at this place, I said, actually, I'm a dermatologist. Uh, I live in New Jersey and I come into town maybe three days a week. And she was fascinated. And she said, well, what's it like being a dermatologist? And I said, I love it. I love it. You know, first of all, it's a good practice because there's always going to be acne. There are always going to be warts. I rarely have to see any cancer or anything that's terrible. And, you know, we have a little saying, uh, the dermatologist, that you either moisten it or you dry it up. And either one of those kind of works. And I make enough money to where I come into town. And three days a week, I either go to the opera, I go to the museums or whatever. Uh, and and she and she starts writing down her phone number and she says well if you ever need any company and i'm going i go to Grant, i'm going like we struck gold <laughs> the next place we went to was McHale's on 42nd street <laughs> so went into McHale's we met two ladies we sat at the bar i have a drink i have a drink she says so uh what do you do and i said uh well right now i'm a delivery boy well delivery actually i'm an actor I'm an actor, and I'm trying to get enough money for headshot uh, pictures, uh, get a resume together. Hopefully, I'll get an agent. Uh, but right now, I deliver, and I and I deliver usually late at night. I, I have the late night shift, so I'm like 6 a.m. to 6 p.m. I'm delivering packages. And she goes, oh, God, why do I meet all of the losers? <laughs> 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 it's it so I it's just my advice to everyone in your audience go with dermatology 
if I, if you really are caught up and you want to impress someone, <laughs> go with dermatology. You had her it moisten, you, I think. Uh, that was uh, yeah. You dry it up <laughs> or you moisten it. I have a great white horse story that that's that's really there. I was in there one night when I was playing music in the village, and I was sitting with a group of friends, and they were trying to pick up this this young woman. One of them was, and and um, a guy looks at her and he says pushes a shot over what she's drinking and says, this will put hair on your chest. To which she opens her shirt and says, I've got hair on my chest. <laughs> oh, God. Oh, man. And way more than oh. I have, even now in my old age. And I just remember sitting there saying, that's why Dylan Thomas got so drunk here, because this is who we're running into. The but, white horse. But, but I got to say, it, it's... You know, going to those, I wonder if they're still there, those classic bars. Do you know? Have you been to New York lately? Yeah, last time I was in New York, there were. There's a restaurant called Bistro Les Amis, which I love. We've been going to for 20 years down on the, on the Lower East Side. Uh, and um, I we went through the village and walked around, and there seemed to be a lot of them there. I, I The White Horse, I believe, is still there, but I haven't been that far west in the village in a while, but... Going back soon, so I, uh, I yeah, that was that was I, one of my favorite bars. I, you know, my my favorite in New York was always Macaleers, on like 80th and Amsterdam, around there, and I found out that they no longer exist. Yeah. And it was like one of my, it was a stomping ground when I was doing Broadway. You know, I was doing mornings at seven there for a year. It was su so successful. The, the, but afterwards, you know, we all go back to McAleer's and I hear it is no more. And, and that is part of the problem with the present is that uh, a lot of times it's unrecognizable. You know, our past has instructed us what to look for and it ain't there anymore. Mm -hmm. And this this is uh, just a sad, sad thing to note. Uh CBS Radford, the studio where I did Seinfeld and I did several shows, gone. CBS Radford's gone. Uh, there is an article in the paper that Paramount is being sold. Wow. There yeah. was another article that maybe Warner Brothers is going to move to Texas. So it's like the world that I knew, that acting world that I knew is changing rapidly. And so we'll see what happens at the end of a this COVID trail. Yeah, the, the music scene in the village, which is where I was, I was really uptown, but um, changed so radically that um, that now people don't go to New York to become folk singers, you know, and that's what you used to do. That was where you got heard. That's where you got seen, whether it was the Bitter End or whether you were at, right. at Birdie's Folk City or any of those places. And they're almost all gone. I mean, I, I, I loved playing in those places and um, the dugout and the back fence and all of them, but I, I can't imagine what it'd be like without them. I don't know if I'd want to be in the village anymore, and I love the village. Yeah, I used to live with friends on McDougal. Uh, 237 you know, right, West 11th for me. <laughs> yeah, McDougal, like like West 4th, you know, right there by Washington Square. The kettle and of fish. I just can't imagine. Mm. Uh, Stephen, before we let you go, uh, speaking of things that... Uh, are, are no longer around. We lost the great Norman Lear recently, yes. and, and I, I know you, you you have a wonderful story about Norman. Could you share that with us again? Uh, I I I have so many. We, we should <laughs> we, uh, should should I? Can I have a hint? Um, I'm thinking of when um, uh, that you had was it when 
I think it was uh, when you were going to be doing one day at a time, and you yes. explained to him that you had met him. Oh, well, many, yes, many there, years there, ago. Yes, there. On my audition for one day at a time, it's to play Doctor Berkowitz again. It's the same thing like Candy Cane Lane. They never gave the scripts out, so you know nobody knew what what it was. I didn't know who I was on the show at all. Nothing. And so you have every character actor that I ever knew in Hollywood pacing the hallway, looking like a doctor, either they're wearing lab coats or they got something to look. And me, I'm just dressed like the schlub I am, you know, just <laughs> my blue jeans and my T-shirt or what, nothing. I walk in and there is Norman. And I walk up to Norman and I said, you don't know this, but when I first arrived to Los Angeles, I wrote to Jane Murray, and Norman gets all the klimt, you know, he gets all kind of, Jane, that was his casting director. She did Mary Hartman, she did everything. She did all of his shows. I wrote a letter to her because she was the only address of a casting person I had, and I said, I'm from Texas, if, if there's anything. And Norman, the first job I got in town was to be an extra on Mary Hartman, Mary Hartman. Uh, a friend of mine from my neighborhood in Oak Cliff, Texas, Kay Callen. And Norman gets all verklempt again. Kay! Kay. Uh, she was on the original One Day at a Time. She invited me to see One Day at a Time, and your show was the first live TV show I saw. And Kay introduced me to you backstage. And you were the first really important person in show business that I ever met. You. And then I went and did my audition. I got the part. And the thing I thought you were going to say, which is Norman Lear adjacent, because it's the kind of guy he is. When we were doing the uh, climax of act of, of season two for One Day at a Time, Rita Marino is in a uh, coma, and we're all coming up and telling her how much we love her. It was a very difficult show to do and a difficult show to rehearse. And we were going to have to work on Yom Kippur. The, the holiest day of the Jewish mm. year, not supposed to work, not supposed to eat, not supposed to do anything. So all the people came, the execs came to me and said, Stephen, will you work? Will you work with us on this show or are you going to take that day off? And I said, I'll, I'll, I'll rehearse because we need to do the show. We need to do the show. Norman came to the rehearsal and he took me aside and while they were rehearsing on one set, Norman brings me to the living room set and he sits me down on the couch and he said, besides, thank you for being here today. He said, I want to tell you about my Yom Kippur's when I was a child. And Norman did. And then he said, tell me about yours. Mm. And so we sat on the couch and talked for about 45 minutes about Yom Kippur and what it meant to us in our lives. And it was one of the holiest days of the <laughs> year I ever had. And Norman always meant so much to me. And dear, dear man, and he was such a supporter of Dangerous Animals Club and my writing, such a supporter of the podcast. He, he is, a, I love him. And we were all told, we were all told that he wasn't going to make it through the night. And all of us just kind of, huddled together and you know we 
expressed our grievance to his wife and said, we'll be quiet. We're not going to say anything. We're not going to do anything, but know that we all are with you and we love you. There's nobody like him. Nobody, nobody Mm -hmm. has been like him. Amazing man. Absolutely. Well, Stephen, it is always a treat for us to talk with you. Thank you for, for making our little reunion complete this afternoon. Oh, I love being in Maine, even if it, even if it's there just virtually, and especially with with that Gary character there over there. I love it. I love it. <laughs> well, thank you so much. Our best to Anne. Uh, you hope bet. You, hope you get some good granddad time uh, over the holidays. Yeah, uh, we we definitely are. M- most assuredly are. We drink to you, Stephen. Thank you much. Yes, Happy sir. New Year. <laughs> Happy New Year to you, Stephen Tobolowski here with us on Downtown. Uh, when we come back. We'll talk with Bill Moomy next on Downtown. The better way to a better window. Renewal by Anderson. Picture this. A cozy main winter night. Snowflakes gently falling. And inside, your home is comfortable and warm thanks to Renewal by Anderson. What's their secret? Here's Troy Pearl to tell us. At Renewal by Anderson, we are the window and door replacement experts who can make your home merry and bright with every holiday season to come. And here's the magic, our high-performance glass. It keeps your home cozy, even on the coldest winter days. Then there's our exclusive FiberX material. It's strong, durable, and energy efficient. But the magic doesn't end there. That's true, because for the month of December, we'll knock 25% off your entire project. 25%. Renewal by Anderson, making Maine winters magical, one window and door at a time. To schedule a free in-home consultation, go to rbagreatermaine.com. The better way to a better window. Renewal by Anderson. Here comes the beginning. downtown Bill Moomey and his alter ego Art Barnes, a new album from And Barnes called Shuckets, a podcast I can say, Shit Happens. <laughs> we talked to Bill about the making of the album, which is dedicated to his longtime Barnes and Barnes partner and friend, Artie Barnes, Robert Hamer. Here's Bill Moomey on downtown. Hey, Rich. Nice to uh, be back on the show again. Yeah. You know, Art Barnes, uh, like like Will Robinson or Anthony Fremont or Lanier. Or it, it's a character that I, I've enjoyed returning to over the years. And, um, you know, some of your your listeners will, will I'm sure, connect to the to Barnes & Barnes, who, uh, who brought you such goodies as Fish Heads and uh, a lot of other demented records over a 40-year career. And, you know, Barnes & Barnes, we were created as we created... Barnes and Barnes as characters, because the music that we we made, which was a kind of rocking novelty, quirky, uh, demented <laughs> stuff, <laughs> you know, was always it was always very different from the the music that that uh, Bill Moomey or or Robert Hamer, my my partner in Barnes and Barnes, that we made individually. So from the very beginning, you know, donning the characters 
of Barnes and Barnes. Uh, you know, I play and sing and write very differently. It's very freeing to kind of, you know, create from a, a, a character's perspective. So that's what uh, what happened here with this this Ann Barnes album, this brand new album. Of course, uh, we lost Robert Barnes already earlier this year, and uh, the album is is dedicated to him, and it certainly captures the spirit that you guys carried through on all those many albums through the years. Thank you. Yeah, Robert passed away, um, unfortunately, in March, and he he was very supportive of this album, and he had heard it in its various stages, not complete, but he'd heard it. Um, and he was very supportive of it. He just wasn't well enough to participate in it. You know, I did dedicate the album to him, and I really had one simple goal. <clears throat> I just wanted to make an album that has a party feel, that's fun, that's upbeat, that grooves, and and honestly is goofy and takes the listener out of reality prime for a while and into a space of humor and some uh, distorted guitar riffs, which I, I enjoy playing. Well, mission accomplished there. Uh, that was the first track on the album. The album, by the way, well, let's see, FCC won't let me give the crank. Now, let's say... Um, uh, we'll call it stuff happens. You can figure Isn't that, that silly? out. It so is silly. The things that you, you know, that we can't say that word when there's so much stuff that they <laughs> they show us 24 hours a day or tell us 24 hours a day about violence and war and illness and all that stuff. Anyway, yes, his, the album is S H exclamation point T happens. <laughs> And uh, Hip is a Bip, a great kickoff to the track. I noticed, and I, I don't know if it's based in your own reality, uh, your line in there about missing your flowing hair. Yeah, I had my, during the lockdown and, and, and COVID, I've been very, very prolific. You know, uh, I, I, I wrote my memoir. I made an album, uh, a Gully album with Paul Gordon. Uh, Action Skulls made our third album. I was producing the Ancient Aliens television show. I have uh, three grandkids that are under five. and um, But I didn't cut my hair <laughs> for like a really long time. Uh, my hair got to be as long as it was when I was like 17 during this, this last few years. So I, I finally cut it all off to get back into, into, you know, once we started going out again, I thought, well, okay. So I, I, I kind of cut my hair off, and I, I did, yes, that line is, is, is a true line. <laughs> it was really, really long, and I kind of liked it, you know, but that's okay. So many good songs. I, I love Toomp, which is an ode to the nightlife in Lumania. It's got a great Caribbean feel to it. Yeah, I, I like that groove too. I wanted this album to uh, to be out an album that you could dance to. You know, it might be some weird <laughs> interpretive <laughs> dances. I'm not. Uh, it's not a disco record, but I did want this album to to be uh, fun and flow with with constant different grooves that felt happy. Well, and I can see people uh, catching on to the new dance craze, uh, doing the guppy stomp. Guppy Stomp is a song that actually had its roots in a Barnes & Barnes jam like 53 years ago. <laughs> it was just a little thing that never got finished. But when I was putting this together and knowing that, again, my goal was always I didn't want to get dark. Barnes & Barnes had made some psychodrama, really unique projects over the years. Um and the last thing we did together was, was was pretty dark and certainly valid as an art piece. But I, I 
I didn't want to get into anything that was a downer this time. I didn't want to get into anything that was creepy or dark. Robert was very into creepy, and that's cool. <laughs> but I did. I just wanted to have fun and make people smile and 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 go. What the heck did he just say? Well, including the great love song, "Let's Grease Up and Wrestle." Right. Hey, <laughs> that's, I'm sure that's uh, that's a that's an unspoken goal. So many of us have. <laughs> <laughs> and the title track, uh, man, it's got a great groove. It's it's got a ZZ Top feel to it. Thank you. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm a big fan of classic uh, blues shuffles and and things like that. And uh, yeah, I mean that that's that's a, a pretty universal groove you know, where you're kind of staying on that that one kind of A chord there. Um, yeah, ZC Top did it excellently. Uh, and uh, yeah, I had fun with that one for sure. Uh, I want to play a little bit of my favorite track on the album, and it's hard to choose, but man, this one, I just want to want to grab my lady, do a little dancing. Let's listen to a little bit of Orphanage Porridge. Oh, I love that. And yeah, you produced the album too, right, Bill? Oh yeah, I, I I wrote and played every note on the record here. Yeah, I mean it's all it's it's a solo album in the truest sense of the word. Although I, I carried uh, Robert's spirit and and tried to um, add some of the classic kind of Barnes and Barnes octave vocals and things that he might have added it if he could have been a part of it. Yeah, Orphanage Porridge is actually the uh, most musically complex track on the record. It's got that kind of sexy R&B groove and uh, uh it was that song and uh, another couple uh, bits on the songs were inspired by my love of the classic little rascals bits, you know, from <laughs> there's a there's a little rascals episode where, you know, they're they're eating this mush Anyway, that for whatever reason, uh, that, that was a part of the inspiration for, for that tune. Although it has a double entendre. Oh yes, oh yes. Now uh, butter too. I don't butter when it begins. It feels like was this an obscure Doors track that I've forgotten? Y yeah, I mean, it, yeah, I mean, yeah. <laughs> it, it wasn't, but it's certainly inspired by the Doors, and and that's another track that started with a jam session from seventy years ago that really never went anywhere. Just a little, we had that on an old tape, and uh, I remembered that and and finished it for the song. It was actually uh, number one on Doctor Demento's uh, top ten last week. <laughs> that's fantastic. How about that? Yeah, uh, I got I got a hit. The, the hits keep on coming. Rich. <laughs> Well, uh, as someone who has uh, has had a kidney stone or or three through the years, I, I've been there. But you've turned that into uh, one of the great kiss off songs you'll ever hear. I miss you like a kidney stone. Thank you. Um, I also have suffered from a uh, kidney stone, and in, in, in my day, I had to actually have a surgery to to finish that issue years ago. It was it was really heinous. I, I can't think of anything physically that I have experienced yet that was worse than that. So yeah, that's a bit of a nasty little tune there. <laughs> and I, I thought of uh, my, my days of teaching high school students with, eh, whatever. <laughs> I love those old kind of uh, 
surf songs. Yeah. You know, like the Ventures or... or little Dick Dale going there. Yeah, Dick Dale, exactly. Thank you for saying that. I love that. And I had written that... Um, that track, I had just done that track just for the for an exercise. Uh, it wasn't specifically going to be a Barnes and Barnes or a Barnes track. I had just done that because I I hadn't done it before, and I thought, well, I got a pretty cool little progression here. And I it was written on a keyboard, and then I found the melody line on the guitar, and uh, so I laid that down as an instrumental, and I lived with it for a little while, and I just. Nothing really came to me, and I, I literally went, maybe this or maybe, eh, whatever. <laughs> and then I went, oh, yeah, <laughs> there you go. And, and the album ends with a, a very philosophical rumination on life, a piece of pie. Yes, it does. And again, that 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 goes back to a little scene uh, in a little classic Little Rascals thing where, where Stymie in his derby hat is, is sitting with Petey the dog, and they're looking at this this little burger joint grill on the street and they're so hungry and they're just watching this guy make food and they don't have any money and they wish they had all this food and that was the uh, that was the inspiration for that song which turned out to kind of be a a bit of a prayer for mankind you know well it... i do want to i want to thank um uh, the, the, the label, you know, uh, Demented Punk Records. I, I was just going to mention that, absolutely. John Cafiero and, and, and the artwork by uh, Stephen Blickenstaff, they did a great job on it. They, they completely designed it and did a great job, and they mastered the record really well. And it's on vinyl, and it's on CD, and it's streaming everywhere, and they've got some some pretty cool, wacky merch that's available, too. They did a great job. I'm very grateful that they... Uh, they cared enough to want to put it out. Yeah, you can go to DementedPunk.com and get for more information and, and check out the, the terrific animated spot for the album as well. And uh, yes, the artwork, that is one stylish dancing doogie there. That's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, I love it because it's, it's kind of a cross between that, uh, that mid-60s San Francisco underground art scene and, uh, and like a golden age comic book. And and there's so many little details in the cover. If you if you look at the curtain, it's really like like corn, you know, like cornfield <laughs> stuff. They've got oh yeah, nudge 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 wink winks in a whole bunch of little ways here. Very uh, very happy with with the, the package. We're talking with Bill Moomy here on downtown. You mentioned it's been such a a prolific year, boy. The action scales out. We're just talking about you. I don't know if your ears were burning the other day. We were talking with Bob and Paul Cowsill and. Uh, and your name came up, but boy, your album, uh, the new one from a running horse is so good. I love uh, well, all the songs in there. Find the good is such a terrific song. Thank you. Uh, you know, uh, there's a very special harmony blend when I get to work with Vicki Peterson and John Cowsill and, and they're both such terrific musicians. I mean, John's just a fabulous drummer and he's uh, also quite a really good keyboard player. And of course, Vicky, from her years as lead guitar player in the Bangles, she comes up with really cool riffs and, and progressions. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, that album started, we started making that record years ago, like before COVID. But uh, John was, uh, for 22 years, I think, Mike might have been 23, was touring uh, with Mike Love's Beach Boys. So um, he was always out on the road, and we, we would just catch some time in the studio together when he had a, a, a day off or a week off here and there. But uh, that finally ended uh, his gig with the Beach Boys, and, and we got the time to finish the record. Yeah, I'm very proud of that record. Uh, we, we have a nice vocal blend, and um, that's a good one. It's not available uh, physically 
right now, but uh, it's there to download or stream. I hope people check that out. Yeah, and what a wonderful cover of the Everly Brothers, So Sad. Thank you. That's one of my very favorite songs, and, and, and written by the late, great Don Everly. And he and I uh, shared the same birthday. Not the same year, <laughs> but the same birthday. And I always felt, and I, I would really probably say this, if, if somebody said to me, who do you think is the best lead singer of, of all time? It would probably be Don Everly. I mean, his his range was ridiculous, and uh, I loved the tone of his voice, whether it was with Phil and Harmony or whether by himself. And if you if you check out the Everly Brothers live stuff, because there's a million things you can find out there, he never sang these the solo parts in, in in any of the Everly Brothers. He never sang them the same way. He always made them fresh, whatever song it was. He would just tweak it a little bit as he went, and it was so soulful. Um, I know people think of the Everly Brothers, oh, that's very maybe safe white bread pop, but boy, it, it gets much deeper than that. And I was really happy that uh, Vicky and John agreed to cover that song because that's one of my all-time favorites. And the Gully album with Paul Gordon, speaking of a, a long time in the works. That's very special to me. And it's probably, uh, I, don't, I don't like to, you know, you, you love all your children equally, but at the same time, it's probably the, my favorite musical project. Paul Gordon, who's a Tony-nominated uh, Broadway play creator and, and has written uh, several number one pop songs in his past. Paul and I were in a band together for 11 years with Robert Hamer at the beginning uh, from uh, the age of 14 through our whatever uh, mid-20s, and then we continued to uh, collaborate as songwriters together. Well, we had all these songs that we started writing when we were really naive, young, and fresh, and just no rules applied to us. We were just writing these cool little bits. But most of them never got finished, or they were just one, one verse in a chorus that kept repeating itself or something. And Paul and I were talking, and we said, you know what? What, what if we took these songs, that, what if we re-explored these songs that we wrote as kids, and threw out all the stuff that was stupid in them and finished them with, you know, polished them with 50 years of, you know, musical experience behind us. So every song on the Gully album is truly a melding of maturity and uh, innocence. And it's a, they're very unique because what was, what was initially created is, is what the songs are. And then we've like gone, okay, well, the, those two lyrics of the next verses were really crazy. Let's write some new lyrics. Or this one never had a bridge, so let's add a bridge. But, uh, man, I love that. I love that album. And that was a real labor of love. And uh, thank you for, for mentioning it. Oh, and, and, and I'll tell you, the song, they're all so good, but the song, When Our Friends Were Really Friends, man, that's... That is it's so good. And it reminded me in some ways, thematically, uh, of your song Lockford. Uh-huh. Yeah, it, it comes from that same place. It's, it's reminiscing on, on a wonderful past that isn't really, uh, that you long to recreate. You want to reconnect to that, that, the joy and the innocence. And, you know, as we all have our lives expand and we get older and older and we're blessed with children and old blessed with grandchildren, etc., whatever it might be, you look back on the days when your friends, like, you hung out all the time. Like, you literally were 
out with your friends all the time. And I don't just mean as little kids, but I mean as adults, too. You know, you'd really do stuff. And, and I, I, although I still feel very strongly connected to a lot of people that I've known since I was a kid, uh, I don't see them. We don't go to, to games or gigs or movies and ride our bikes around. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, that song uh, is, is a, was, yeah, it's sentimental. And uh, speaking of family, congratulations on a new member of the family. You've got a new grandson, Nathan. Oh, yes, I do. And I just saw him last night. He's five weeks old today. <laughs> and he's got a, a big ton of red hair. <laughs> my daughter, Liliana, uh, shares my hair color and coloring. And she blessed us with uh, <laughs> with a redhead little little guy. I have two beautiful granddaughters, Presley and Isla. And Presley just turned five. And Isla just turned three. And and now we have our little dude, Nathan, and uh, thank God everybody's healthy and, and happy, and we all tolerate each other. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I saw um, you and Eileen uh, posted this, and I think it's a wonderful idea, a perfect Christmas gift for somebody if they have not read it, they should, would be to give them your wonderful memoir, The Full Moomy. Rich, you are just an infomercial, and I can't tell you how much I appreciate it. You know, the, writing my memoir was something I had, uh, I had put off for a really long time, and um, it just, during lockdown, it seemed like, well, maybe I can re-explore the, the process of that. And I, I went to my office, and I started writing, and, and within 22 weeks, I had written 400 and whatever it is, pages. And uh, what was freeing to me about it was I didn't want to create anything that was, and then I, and he was, and she was, and then I, and then I. So I approached it in a, in a nonlinear fashion. So the book does a lot of time jumping around. Yet at the same time, I think it feels pretty conversational and, uh, and it flows in, in an honest way honest way and i've gotten nothing but very positive feedback from it it's done really well so for the holidays yeah we're, we're saying you know if you go to ncpbooks.com that's where you get the autographed regular autographed or personally autographed copies of the book and for the holidays i'll include a, a cd you know i'll just uh, th there's quite a few in my catalog and uh i'll pick one out for the the guy or the gal who purchases the book, you know, we get a free CD this time. Well, it's a wonderful read. And, and you know, I've, I've read a lot of memoirs and uh, very few have been as entertaining and as open and honest. And, you know, it feels like I'm, I'm sitting in a room hearing you tell great stories. And it was fantastic. Well, thank you. Thank you very much, Rich. Uh, that is a, a pretty consistent uh, uh Review. I mean, people have said that to me more than a few times, and and I take that as a great compliment because I, I I wanted it to to be honest and real, and I didn't. You know, I if you're going to write a story of your life, you gotta you gotta tell the dark with the light, the good with the bad, and I wasn't uh, I didn't hold back. <laughs> That's for sure. Well, get the book, get the new CD from And Barnes called. Schitt's Creek minus the creek happens. Uh, yeah, that, I worked my way around it there. It's fantastic. Uh, you can get it online. Go to DementedPunk.com and uh, check out the wonderful animated spot for the album as well. Bill, uh, thanks for the great music, and thanks, as always, for making some time for us. 
Oh, Rich, I enjoyed this very much. And, and again, happy holidays to you and all your listeners. And uh, thanks so much for the, the, the good words. As Bill Moomy here on Downtown Earth. Thanks to Bill. Thanks to Stephen Tobolowsky and to you for joining us this week. Downtown produced by Kerry Haskell and brought to you by Renewal by Anderson. The better way to a better window. Call 207-275-6622 or visit renewalbyanderson.com. We'll see you next time right here on Downtown.